Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today to discuss all kinds of stuff. We got one camera announcement as well as some lenses and a few other interesting bits and pieces. We've even got something in the wacky category. But first, Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Hey, thanks for telling everybody that I'm from a website called... Oh, I love the whisper. Uh, what have I been up to? Well, I've spent the last two days watching my daughter play softball. Three days, actually. And they actually won two games in a row. We're so excited. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal to most of you, but my daughter comes from a school where the graduating class is 65 kids. And so even fielding a softball team in the fall is kind of a miracle. So, I mean, they've got girls that have never played softball ever, ever, ever before playing. So so not only do they have a small group to choose from, but they are also beating teams with a much larger group of professional style athletes. Well, let's not say professional now. But uh, yesterday, uh, the team that they were playing was supposed to blow them away, and actually they won by the 10-run rule. So that was kind of awesome. So on my end, basically uh, more, yeah, I wish I had something exciting to report, but I've just been editing, (laughs) editing, editing. I sent in two uh, DVD presses out for uh, pre-production so we can get the uh, artwork and check everything Uh, out. Um, For those of you not familiar, you basically have to get all your art from your art people. (laughs) There's a specific name for them. You shouldn't call them art people because that'll piss them off. But you send that in, and they send you back a pre-production copy of the DVD so you can take a look at the DVD and the Blu-ray and make sure that everything lines up. You've left enough area for printing so that nothing spills over and all of your art looks correct and the colors of course are accurate so more exciting times sitting in front of this computer right here doing nothing but editing and putting together films so much fun i love it i don't actually it's uh it's pretty miserable but on that (laughs) note i think it's probably time for time for the First up, we've got a little bit of comparison here, and I'm going to share my screen so those of you watching the video can see what we're talking about. This is the Sigma 35mm f1.4 and the Canon 35mm f1.4 Mark II. Uh, Petapixel was kind enough to post some sample images of these two side by side so you can get an idea of how the Sigma 35mm f1.4 stacks up against the new Canon 35mm f1.4 Mark II. Two. Uh, looking at the images here, and I'm scrolling through these. You can see these in the video, but you might want to also check the show notes link. Kind of to me, and Mitch, I don't know how much you've taken a look at this, but I feel like the Sigma stacks up pretty well at half the price. What do you think, man? Yeah, uh, they're very impressive, especially the close-ups. They're the 100% crops for you pixel peepers. I did notice that there is a slight, at least to my eye, a slight color difference, um, which which is which was always something that I really never thought of when I was shooting stills. And when I sat down and talked to Shane Hurl, but here's there's a plug. How about that? Um, when I talked to him, and he taught me a lot about colors of lenses, and especially lens lines. So you know. Um, 
why can I not? A Zeiss is famous for being very sharp, and he likes to say that the Leica lenses are are good for blues if you want to have a color cast of blues and stuff. So I never really learned much about that until I talked to him. And I do notice that there, you know, the Canon seems to be slightly redder. Uh, I think the blues come out a little bit more in some of those samples, but overall, though, for you know, unless you're absolutely just pixel pixel peeping and diving into the tiny little nuances of stuff, it looks pretty damn good. Yeah, uh, in the close-ups, you can see that the Canon image provides a little bit less color fringing than the Sigma. Uh, looking right here around this little pull mount transformer you can see that it's sort of blurry in the edges and i think you're right mitch i think there's a little bit more uh i don't know vivid is the term but it's a little bit redder uh up here than it is down here in the sigma the sigma is more of a sterile color that effect you're talking about is actually really noticeable when you go back to like fd lenses or things even older than that like the nikon uh, uh, nikor lenses those have their own unique color profile uh, looking at the rest of these stills, though, I mean, these crops of this brick here, both of them look fairly comparable. And you got to remember, too, the Sigma is 899 and the Canon is 1700 plus. So yeah. for half the price, not a lot of difference there. I feel like Canon's done some good things comparing the 35mm Mark II to the original, but. Compared to the Sigma, I don't know if it's as much of a value as it used to be when it was kind of the only offering. For video, I'm probably just going to stick with my original Canon 35mm f1.4 and not upgrade. But for those of you with way more money than me, go out, buy, use our affiliate link because that helps out. And uh, get as many as you can because that's what you do. Otherwise... I don't know. Anything else on this, Mitch? It's sort of exciting, not really exciting, but I, I'm I'm always interested to see these two against each other. In case there are any of you out there who still believe that affiliate links cost you extra money, by the way, let me just tell you that that's not true. It costs you nothing. If you buy something through B&H or Amazon, they give us a little commission, which helps feed our families, right? Like the dog? Your yes. dog? yes. It's dog, not dog food. That sounds rude, but it is additional income, which does help support the website. So please do remember to use our affiliate links. And that is, I know, a plug, but it is a good reminder that if you like our show, it helps. Now, before we dive into the bread and butter of this particular episode, let's skip around a little bit to a few other things. I want to oh. clean up uh, some news here. I've got now shipping to me. This guy right here, and I actually, this is something Mitch and I have been talking about off and on for probably six months or better. This is the E1 Kickstarter, the Micro Four Thirds camera, one of the smallest available, using a Panasonic sensor. I'm going to swing over to their website so you can see what's going on with that. But they just announced that they will be shipping to Kickstarter. has got my address and everything, and this little guy right here, will be in my hands hopefully in about two to three more weeks. Now, weeks? Yeah, weeks. Um, from what I understand, weeks, uh, it's oh. order of fulfillment, and I'm only in the middle of the pack. So oh. 
I mean, all those tips that I got you in there wasn't soon enough to be at the front of the line. No, no, I'm I'm like number four hundred and fifty because <laughs> I'm just not fast enough. Uh, for inside baseball, Mitch actually sent me the link to this, knowing that I would love something like this in my collection. Uh, before it really blew up and I was able to get in on one of the early bird specials, which is excellent. But uh, so many people ordered in. As usual with Kickstarters, this sort of thing becomes a issue for new manufacturers. They're not used to being overwhelmed with this many requests for their products. So ramping up to sort of meet those needs can be an issue. And uh, they did have to run through several production lines uh, with this particular camera. Uh, they were kind enough to send out emails and messages to the backers to let them know kind of where they're at. And it does sound like they finally got all the bugs worked out. Hopefully, this camera is fully baked when it gets to my door. Mitch, <laughs> have you done any Kickstarters in the past? Uh, I have contributed to a couple that were things like the solar roadway I thought was a really cool project and several films. Um, one, one of which I'm turning around looking for the DVD and of course, no, it's not there right now. And I just never mind Cause I, the title's not coming to me. I was stalling trying to come up with the title, but forget <laughs> it. Uh, but I'm no, I have not purchased any project products because it frankly scares the crap out of me. Yeah, Kickstarter is not a place to go shopping, guys. Um, sometimes <laughs> you get what you want, sometimes you don't. In this case, I hope the camera turns out well, but uh, if not, that's about 600 bucks down the drain. I think I paid 499 so a GoPro yeah. price down the drain if things don't turn out well. Hopefully well, they I, do. I, and I, I, I think... Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tromp all over you. I will say the two guys that I talked to in their booth at NAB seemed very sketchy. No, uh, very nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything seems legitimate with this. I'm not too concerned about them coming out with a good product. They've had videos up showing the camera in action. Uh, they've demonstrated the phone app. Uh, it's using proven technology from uh, Panasonic for their sensor tech. So, you know, unless they really just drop the ball, I think this is going to be a great camera. And if they can maintain the price under $700, a little tiny 4K shooter like this that takes lenses, uh, it's pretty attractive. Still, now we have uh, DJI moving into that territory with their little 4K M43 camera. Uh, but that's a much bigger price, but that was like seven thousand, wasn't it? I think it was yes, five to seven thousand, depending on which model you went with. But that was with the arm, the raw shooting capabilities, and that like hard drive attachment, I believe. Uh, yeah. So I wonder if they'll be putting out something in the lower price range because DJI is known for their tiered marketing of their drones and so on. Uh, well, could every, everybody's coming out with cheap gear, right? Oh my gosh. Okay. Mitch has just led me in <laughs> to the announcement. I was actually watching this leak out last night, and now we have official information. The Red Raven has been announced. Now, for those of you following Red for a long time, you've probably heard of their promise for many, many years of 4K for 4K. They have missed the mark yet again with that pricing structure. But the Raven is the closest they've come in recent years. This is a 4K 
Dragon sensor camera. It's got a 1.87 crop. The body itself is capable of shooting 4K at up to 120 frames per second and 2K at up to 240 frames per second. You've got Red Code RAW, which is very nice, as well as some ProRes 422 options for recording. Uh, this is using mini mags, which are very expensive, talking about $850 a piece for those. And they claim 16.5 stops of dynamic range. The price what? on this guy is going to be $5,950. But again, that's just for the body. Uh, by the time you deck this out, add mags and batteries and accessories, you're probably looking at something closer to $10,000. Now, Mitch, with cameras like the FS7, FS5, and Blackmagic Ursa on the horizon, what do you think about the Red Raven? Is this thing going to fly? But don't But don't Yeah. Uh, sorry, where's the right sound effect for that? <laughs> that one. See? Too slow. Uh, I think there are going to be a lot of people very interested in this that are currently red fanatics. Uh, is it going to sway those people that are DSLR shooters? Uh-uh. Well, maybe. I, you know, there people have a dream that that, especially if you're a gearhead, that you know, the red is like the ultimate indie cool video camera, right? I'm sorry, filmmaking machine, not it, a video camera. I it really used it. to be, but I mean, anymore, it's just sort of become another camera. And somebody can email me a, a angrily with their response <laughs> to that statement. But in the early days, red really was sort of breaking the mold, offering something much more affordable, something that you could rent for 4000 or or 3000 a, a week and get your hands on and start shooting 4K before it was really even possible to do so with the Red 1. But now, you know, you have the Aria Elixir out. You have all these uh, very well-specced cameras. Sure, they don't shoot raw, but is the Red the dream anymore? Well, it never has been for me, but... Uh, I guess it, it for some people that will be true. They will want to lust for the red because, I mean, you, you go look at NAB, for example, and red's in a totally different hall than all the other vendors, well, except for Black Magic. Black Magic and red are together, and they're off in this unique section of the hall. But red's always got thousands of people hanging around their booth, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's sort of a cult feeling to red. There's also sort of a problem with just about every red that's ever been released, sort of like Black Magic, but we won't talk about that. And they're talking about shipping this in February of next year. Okay, so that's already, what, six-something months from now? And, and Canon will probably do that, too. I mean, it's, they're not the only ones that announce these these cameras and then don't ship them for six months. But we've also had issues with red making announcements and then not delivering on those dates in the first place. So yes, it's something interesting to be on the lookout for. Are you going to hold out for it? No. If you've got to shoot something, you got to use a camera that you can get. Now you can get 4k in the a7s. You can get 4k in the GH4 if that's what you need. And those are both cheaper. So I think for the mass market, no red's not all that all that exciting. Now, but, if you yeah. want to move into red, 
cameras used market and i'm just bringing this up here to kind of stomp all over older red cameras but look at the pricing on some of these guys here is a red scarlet x a full kit with pl mount for nine thousand eight hundred dollars uh three thousand five hundred and ninety nine dollars for an older red one camera with the full wow. set uh we're looking at uh, mysterium x mx camera 4k uh pl mount for six thousand six ninety nine uh an entire red epic kit for under 20 grand uh all of these are really falling in price another mysterium x for five thousand with zero bids at 3500 man uh you know if if you really want to get into 4k red shooting uh mysterium x uh is is a pretty decent camera the scarlet isn't isn't too bad either and those are cameras you can get today and really uh compared to the scarlet the raven is supposed to be the tier down from the scarlet if if i'm reading all of these specs correctly do you agree with that mitch yes you're absolutely right there so that's an awesome point being able to get one used for those kind of prices which means of course that if you invest uh today maybe in the red raven uh what's its resale value going to be two years down the road doesn't seem like it's going to hold up very well does it Uh, that's one of the things that's really good about dslrs it's not good about other video products you know even the 5d mark ii which has been out for seven plus years that camera still retails used for around a thousand dollars uh after seven years of use it went from 2500 bucks down to a thousand that's pretty that's a pretty good return on investment for that many years of use and then resale. The 5D Mark III, I think I paid uh, 2400 for mine. They sell for about $2,000, $1,800, depending on the day. It's really held its value. Uh, then you go to video cameras, and we look at stuff that used to be top of the line, like the uh, 100 series from Panasonic and uh, some of the other older JVC and Canon cameras. And they're not worth very much at all. You know, the you can go buy an FX, uh, I think it was an FX series uh, news shooting camera from Canon. You can buy those used now for like $1,000 and no one even wants them. They, they can barely give them away. Ah. Video cameras just aren't holding up to the value that they, they used to, especially with cameras coming out every single day. Now, Mitch, if you had $5,950 to spend... Would you rather get a fully baked camera that's ready to shoot like the FS5 or the Blackmagic Ursa Mini? Or would you go with something like this? And what would be the reason to go with the Red Raven versus those two? This is this is a very interesting question and one that is very hard for me to put on my filmmaker hat and justify. Um you know, I, like like I've said umpteen times, I still shoot photos. Like the softball team yesterday, shooting lots of gorgeous photos of kids playing softball is a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I, I decided yesterday at some point, because what I do, just FYI, just sidebar, is that I shoot photos and do a slideshow kind of video presentation at the end of the year. And Sometimes I throw some video in there, but mostly it's stills. I, I like that kind of thing. Cause I, so all the kids are sitting around and their parents at the big annual banquet 
and we do this slideshow, right? Uh, so I typically don't shoot video of these kids. Uh, most of the time, it's not that interesting anyway. Um, but yesterday, I was shooting a little bit of video because my daughter was up to bat, and the winning run, of, we were up by 15 runs already. But anyway, so she was up to bat. So I'm, I'm going to shoot video, right? I've got tons of stills throughout the whole game. I figure I could shoot video of her at bat and show her later what her stance is and all that kind of stuff. And I've been shooting photos all day. So what do I do right when she swings? And I have the, the, the video running on my 5D Mark III. It's right when she swings, I am so used to pressing the shutter button, I actually stopped the video right as she swings. <laughs> <laughs> God, how stupid was that? I missed the game-winning hit. Anyway, I just thought that was hilarious. I was so there's a problem with shooting both stills and video on one camera, right? So to answer your question, long-winded story, uh, I I do find it hard to kind of justify for our market, for what you what your market is and my market, the people that are that came in because it was so low to be able to use a DSLR or some of the newer video cameras now. I don't see the appeal of the red in the first place. There are a few, for me, a few things that do make red still sort of a viable, attractive option. And, and red code raw is one of them. Uh, if you've ever had the joy of using red code, it's one of the easiest raw experiences you'll ever work with. Uh, basically, drop it in and tweak things around, copy and paste your settings. It's all metadata, so you can go back and change everything. And I do love that type of workflow on the few red projects I've worked on. Uh, that would be my number one jump in the air excitement point about any red camera. But other than that, I mean, you're not even getting a full, uh, you know, uh, APS-C size sensor out of this guy. It's right. a little bit less than that. The crop factor is 1.87. Uh, you know, you can go to the Sony FS5 for $5,600. That will get you a super 35 millimeter sensor. So a little bit bigger than what you're getting out of the red Raven. Uh, you get a full package battery, everything, but a lens basically, as well as a, you know, a viewfinder and a little, little baby monitor. Uh, you still have your, uh, 240 frames per second, slow motion. If you need it, you aren't getting raw, but you know, if you plan your shots and you pay attention to your environment and you do a good job lighting, I, that isn't really the end all be all, Will there be a a group that wants this? Probably. I think, you know, for productions that have all the money to throw at stuff and they're already shooting on red cameras anyway, having a couple of these around is sort of, I, I want to say, quote, unquote, cheaper danger cameras. Right. Could be possible. But it's not something I'm dreaming of. And uh, I'm guessing <laughs> a lot of you guys out there aren't dreaming of it either. Uh, where red used to dominate sort of the indie market, uh, Sony, Airy, as well as Panasonic have all kind of come in and cleaned up and, and brought their prices down and started offering 4K in packages like the GH4, for example. I mean, really, you can kit out a GH4 with lenses and a rig and all the other things you need to put a, a small film crew together for less than the price of just the Red Raven body. You know, right. and, and that's a full kit, lenses and all. So 
then going up to that next level, what does that get you? Well, that gets you a body, but now you're going to buy batteries. You're going to buy uh, mini mags from Red for $850 a pop. You're going to buy lenses. This has a cannon mount on top of that, so you can't even get a speed booster attachment for this to to get you a little bit wider when you need to for sort of more a 35-millimeter equivalent. It, it's just not as good of a value as so many other things that are on the market where in the past the Red 1 was an extreme value. When the nearest competitor was in the you know hundred and some thousand dollar range, Red was offering an entire camera package for twenty thousand dollars. Now, right. you know, man, uh, you can go get a DSLR. You can go. You can go buy a hundred and eighty nine dollar T two I, slap some cheap lenses on it, and go out and start shooting tomorrow and get something. Obviously, not in the same category as the Red Raven, but something that's very good, decent for your reel, something that you can show off, something that you could even do some client work for and and not be ashamed. You know, I don't know. I, maybe it's bad too because as things get cheaper and more affordable, then it drives the price of your, the value of your work down even further. And it's her, you know, I, I guess I can't get into the, it's hurting everybody because, you know, it's helping some people. It's bringing them up, but it's also, you know, hourly rates for, uh, videographers out there have dropped dramatically uh, where you used to be able to easily get six or $700 a day for your work, um, maybe even 800 if you brought in your own camera gear. Now you're looking at hopefully 450 to 500 if you have the right clientele. And some people are coming in and undercutting for, you know, 300 $200 a day. I mean, $200 a day, that means you're working for 20 bucks an hour with equipment rentals. That's you know, that barely covers insurance and, you know, all the other things. Like, you're working for minimum wage, basically, at that point. Uh, sorry, that's another completely different rant that is... What? Yeah. We had a rant on the show already, and we're only 26 minutes in? Oh, man. Uh, anyway, uh, Mitch, you got anything well, else on this Red Raven? Because uh, it's... It's a weird I camera. I did note on one of the po- uh, posts that I read that, by the way, this has got a Canon EF mount, right? I think That's you correct. said that. Yep. But it's not changeable. Like all the other red bodies, you can actually get a different mount. You could get a PL mount. You could do whatever you wanted. But this one is locked in, so it's only available for EF. Uh, the other thing that I find interesting is that Red has announced at the bottom of the press release, they have three packages and one of them is called the Red Raven Jetpack. There is a name <laughs> for it. The package is designed specifically for use with handheld gimbals, drones, jibs, and cranes. So, yeah, let's go get a uh, jetpack and put our $10,000 camera on a drone, okay? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I still think... Even the DJI camera we talked about before, if you're going to do drone stuff, get one that's specifically designed for the drone you're buying, right? Yeah. As opposed to slapping a big old massive red body on there with batteries and fans and everything else. Anyway, uh, I, I, I think it's interesting that they're trying to appeal to this segment with this quote-unquote jetpack. Uh, it may be more more appealing for a gimbal and a jib than than a drone but and again like you said if you've already got red products that you're using then adding this as your crash cam <laughs> crash cam <laughs> or you know 
B cam, whatever that would that makes sense. But heck, why not just get a GH4? They, all these things cut together well, right? Well, I mean, there are some color science issues between uh, different compression rates that can give you a little bit of headache. But I think in the price range that many of uh, our viewers and listeners shoot, uh, they cut well enough that it wouldn't be worth uh, nitpicking over. Uh, honestly, you know, GH4 footage looks pretty good. It's it's very usable. It may not be as high resolution as the 4K you'd get out of a red camera, but, uh, you know, what are you delivering in? You're usually delivering in 1080p yeah. anyway. So yeah. right now, 4K is not a huge issue. And by the time everybody really wants to get their hands on full 4K resolution with, you know, all the pixels we'll have other cameras from probably Panasonic and Canon and so on that will meet and step up to that higher resolution stage. You know, the GH5 is probably around the corner. Can we say 8K shooting? Probably not, but maybe. (laughs) Well, I I will go back on my rant where I continue to say, uh, and, and maybe people get tired of me saying it, but the audience... 99.99% of the people don't care or don't notice if there's a slight difference in color. We were talking about cutting between the GH4 or, or, you know, and a red, for example. Uh, If there, you and I might sit there and really spend hours trying to tweak the, the, the look of the two different images because we're fanatics about it. But I bet you if you put it in front of 99.9% of the people who are watching the damn thing on an SD TV or, you know, a DVD, which is a resolution of 420 pixels, right? They don't care. So spend time. It's the old 80-20 rule. If you're spending all of your time on the 20% that nobody cares about, you're wasting a whole lot of your time in life Worry about the 80%, the story. Worry about the quality of what you're putting out textually or, or story-wise. And that, I mean, you know, okay, I've said it too many times before. Let's go on. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, just to, to follow up on that, we have a guy, We his, I'll call him Steve because I don't want to pull his card, but Steve, he basically is our test subject. So once we've finished a color grade on something and we feel like we're kind of there, we send it over to Steve. And if Steve doesn't notice any problems, we're done. We just stop. (laughs) And if Steve points out anything, he's like, I don't like this or I don't like that, then we go back and fix it. But by doing that, that sets the bar to, you know, average everyday Joe as to whether or not the work is good enough to pass muster. Now, I know not everybody has a Steve that they can just throw it to, but, you know, you have a grandma, an aunt, an uncle or whatever, and you got to realize where's your project going to end up? You know, if you're shooting uh, corporate interviews, you know, that's one thing. If you're shooting a feature length film that's on a shoestring budget, that's a completely different thing. And Mitch is absolutely right. You know, sometimes it's not worth that extra little bit to get to the next level. You just want to get more and more stuff out there and that'll get you moving forward. Now, speaking of getting stuff out of there, this is wacky as all get out. It's a vacuum cleaner for your camera body. What? This comes in various flavors and sizes, including mounts for Canon and Nikon. And this PII vacuum cleaner 
basically attaches to your camera. Let's look at some of the weirdness that is available in this thing here. It basically has a filter around the outside here. And as you can see from this diagram, making this big with the Asian letters, it uh, sucks the air in through the filter, blows it through the inside of your camera body, and then shoots it back out the center again. Now, I don't know how viable this sort of thing is, but Mitch, what do you think of this wacky vacuum cleaner for your camera body? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Huh? Uh, it I find it very interesting, and I usually do, because you find some really tweaky, unique things, and I appreciate that. It might be very valuable. Uh, they talk in the description on one of the ones that I pulled up on eBay about, uh, they also include the, uh, uh, what do you call it? I'm trying to read the word, uh, non-charged. They're trying to electronics electrostatic that's what i'm working on the word so they've actually tried to do that as well so that would allow taking the static charge off would take the dust particles make them more free to float off in the middle of the sensor and then you suck it out i'm i would be curious to see how well it works i want to see a review i want to see somebody actually do this because there could be some validity to it um <laughs> But on the other hand, I don't know, it might just be quackery. You know, one of the ones I was thinking about earlier when I was reading the show notes, I don't know if you ever saw this, but you know, you know how you, and this is an interesting analogy, what it comes to my head, but have you ever seen somebody play the joke where they put uh, cellophane or uh, what's the other word? Visqueen? No, not uh, saran wrap on the toilet seat, you know, and then somebody uses the toilet yeah, yeah 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 i saw where somebody had created a like one of those kind of things where you would it came in a little frame and you would put it it would fit inside your camera above the sensor and in front of the mirror and it, so it would be like like the cellophane shield to keep all the dust out so when you change your lenses <laughs> you wouldn't get any dust in there and i was like well that that might not be such a bad thing. I mean, keep the dust out in the first place, right? But I don't know. I mean, they all seem like gimmicks. Doesn't just a quick brush work and get most of the dust off your sensor in the first place? You know, I'm pretty bad about actually cleaning inside of my camera bodies. Um, even with the GH4, which doesn't have a reflex mirror, you know, the sensor is basically exposed all the time. You don't really have too much of an issue. I mean, unless you're holding your camera this way in a dusty environment, letting stuff fall down on top of it, you know, just change your lenses sideways and you're probably in good shape. For photos, you'll notice it. But for video, if you have a little bit of dust on your sensor, uh, generally because of the pixel bending and stuff that happens on like a 5D Mark III, you don't really see it very much. It's not very noticeable. Uh, I'm actually more concerned with dead pixels most of the time. I do like the idea of being able to put a vacuum cleaner on my camera just because it's it's fun. It seems like some like novelty coffee table uh, ordeal where you're like, hey, you guys, oh, you, you brought your camera. You need it cleaned? Here, let me get out my lens vacuum. 
And then, you know, everybody's like, ooh, what's this? Well, it's an electrostatically powered super vacuum that will clean the inside of your camera. I mean, you can throw out whatever buzzwords to make it sound great and then just slap it on the camera and go. It's $99. I would love for one of you guys to go out and review this. There's a link to where you can pick this up in the show notes. But basically, if you're really that obsessed with keeping dust at your camera, maybe this is an option. Mitch is right, though. For like $13, you can go buy a little squeegee that you squish with a... It has a little brush on the end, and you can probably, I would guess, do at least as good a job as this vacuum system. Would you agree? Yes. Uh, I use LensPen, by the way. And they make a sensor version, which I use on my sensor when I really worry about it. Most of the time I don't worry about it because I have the 5D Mark III, which has the sensor that shapes, right, to keep the dust off. And and by the way, I have seen people who are, are camera fanatics who say the only way to change a lens is if you hold the camera body such that the le- you're putting the lens on from the bottom, like I'm demonstrating for those of you who are watching on video, uh, that way... The, the dust would never fall on the sensor, right? So you always just hold the camera body up and put the lens on from the bottom, right? The phonetics are doing, telling you that that's the only way to change a lens. Like, whoever does that? Whoever does that? One other, one other note before we move on, if we're going to move on. I love the way they write this in their, their eBay uh, description. If you really go down in the nuts and bolts, and it says, Fine particles such as viruses, tobacco <laughs> smoke. Now wait, it gets worse. Tobacco smoke, pollen, mites, carcasses of bugs, and feces from bugs, pet hair, dandruff, including allergens such as mold spores, all get into your camera and therefore you've got to <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I've got pet or, or bug feces in my camera. What? Uh, man, actually, okay. So the bug feces <laughs> thing, th- there's, I think there's a video uh, on YouTube, and I'll have to, if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, it actually shows there's a, a certain swarm of of these, um, I think they're shield bugs of some kind, and they do drop like little bits out. And there's a guy that got a, a couple of those on his sensor and on his lens, and uh, the he has video of it. And it's just kind of interesting. It doesn't really do much in the way of affecting his image, but I didn't even know bugs pooped, honestly. <laughs> Not that no, this is, I mean, everybody, I suppose, does. But one but other it, thing it, I want you guys to look at, and I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes. There's a excellent video and photography uh, demonstrating scratched lenses and dirty sensors. And they kind of go through and they shoot on some rather scratched up, cut up glass as well as some dirty sensors and show the photo as well as video results. And the interesting thing is, is for the most part, other than in color charts and, uh, you know, special measuring tools, you don't really notice anything major or different, even with a lens that is fairly well scraped up Uh, enough so that they were shooting on lenses, you know, FD lenses from uh, the early years of Canon that had the, the coating sort of worn off of the front and I mean, you got a little bit of uh, flaring and a little bit of purple fringing, but nothing so dramatic as you would think for a lens that looked in that bad a shape. And uh, Mitch, I think you've seen some of these before too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's and it's hilarious because there's and I I have not been able to find it. There's you probably have seen it. 
excuse me, there's there's a, a website that I saw that had some photos right at the beginning and you're looking at the photos and you're like, oh, and it says, by the way, these were all shot with a, with a lens that had a completely cracked front end. And then they show you the picture of the lens. And it's not only just scratched, but it's got like major cracks through it. It's like, you know, people people still use their iPhones, smartphones when the front screen cracks and they still use it, right? Yeah. We get so fanatic about, ooh, let's not scratch the lens. We might we might not have to throw it away or something. When in reality, that the lens is so close to the sensor that even if you I mean You've held stuff in front of your lens, and and still you can see the image behind it. So, I don't know. It's it's another one of those sort of rant things that that I don't get too picky about it. I certainly don't put a UV filter on the front of my lens in order to protect it, because I've seen these kind of things like you're talking about, where you can get a major scratch on the front of your lens, and it may take down your resale value, but it's not going to hurt the, the image quality. And I certainly don't wipe it down, you know, get a pen and clean it with a lens pen or whatever. I just shoot. If it gets a little bit of face dust on it, I don't care. Well, and some people care. actually prefer that look. Um, well, yeah. You get older cam, uh, older lenses that have like a little bit of mold and they've signed, sort of gone a little yellow in the coating because of the technology they used for the coating back then. Uh, they really love that look. And, uh, there's a, a company, I believe they're called uh, dog shit optics. And, uh, <laughs> it's, oh, no. it's spelled not like the, you know, but anyway, the point is, is they actually go through and they'll take old, uh, Canon Nikon lenses and they'll take them apart. They'll sort of ding them up. They'll mess up the aperture blades and they'll do some other stuff to them and put it back together again. And everyone's sort of unique. You know, it'll have like a little bit of smoked look. It'll be soft in one corner, but not in the other. They'll do a little bit of grinding on the glass and all sorts of other imperfections specifically to get you a lens that has quote unquote personality. And people will pay three to four times the cost of the regular lens to have this sort of effect applied to their optics in order to get, you know, I don't know, in-camera specialty shots, I suppose. Um, Most of the time when I need an old-timey look, I'll just do it in post. But, you know, I suppose if you have all the money in the world, go take your nice glass and have it messed up by these guys for, you know, an extra three or four grand and (laughs) bam, now you got what they need. Um, I did find the link, and I put that in the show notes here. Uh, One of the things Mitch was talking about, and this is actually a pretty cool shot right here, you can see that this lens is completely mangled, and the image above was taken with that smashed lens. So, And that's an old uh, Minolta 50mm F1.4, I believe. Now, moving on to people that are also updating stuff... This is the JVC GYLS 300, and this is, again, a camera we've talked about many times. Why am I talking about it again, you wonder? Well, looks like they've added more firmware updates to this thing. This $3,995 camera now has the ability to shoot log mode. So if you want flat images out of this camera... You can now get that via the JVC J or GY man LS three hundred. I'm just gonna go with the LS three hundred. Anyway, Mitch, what do you think? Like this camera is kind of it's floated down the stack and popped back up the stack. 
dozens of times over the last couple of months, and the price keeps dropping. I, I think this was like what six thousand dollars originally when it was announced, and now it's f- under four thousand. How, how does this compare? Do you think they're just going to keep making it better with firmware updates like this? No, no, it's dead. This is the last update there. I've I've been speaking with JVC personally. Uh, the, <laughs> right. You're the only guy that knows about all this stuff, DJ. Come on. All right. Uh, I can, I, uh, you want me to answer that question for myself? Yeah, answer your own question. So the JVC, it's a Micro Four Thirds camera for those of you who aren't familiar with it. It isn't particularly awesome in low light. Probably 800 ISO, maybe 1600 if you're pushing it. But... The fact that they're adding new features all the time still makes this camera fairly competitive. Uh, if you think about going from a GH4 up to a full-fledged video camera, you know, a GH4 is like 1600 bucks. You add that crazy attachment to it, and now you're in the two to $2,500 range. You jump up just a little bit more, and now you're getting a full-fledged camera with XLR inputs. You have a Micro Four Thirds sensor. You're able to shoot 4K. You have... Flat mode, if you want to do grading and post, uh, this is using, I, I believe, Rec. 709, which is nice. That gives you basically a flat image that's fairly standard that you can apply LUTs against without much of an issue. And now they've added sensor crop features that give you the option to sort of punch in. Uh, they say it's revolutionary, but it's you know it's something that's been done before. Uh, JVC is not breaking the mold with this one. Four thousand dollars. I mean, that's a pretty decent. A list of options in a camera like this it is sort of what we kind of wanted out of remember when panasonic released that uh what was it the p pr 100 or pc 100 or whatever or 100 a i can't remember what the heck the freaking letters were before the numbers but uh, <laughs> that camera that was what we were kind of hoping for with that but we ended up with this weird boxy thing with a, a gh2 sensor slapped on it this on the other hand is Sort of like that, only with all the stuff you want in a normal form factor. So, to me, it's kind of attractive. I'm not going to buy it because, you know, I already have enough cameras. But (laughs) if you wanted a camera that was a camera to go along with your GH4, then maybe this is an option. JVC's done a good job, and it's really impressive that they keep offering up firmware updates to this camera. Mitch, you got anything to add to that? I, I do have a question for you. Um... I, I, I'm really confused looking at the article uh, that you have linked on four thirds rumors, but that's a whole other story. What is so the first item, first bullet is they've added Cine 4K and 2K. So it had 4K before. So what is right? Didn't it? Uh, it's not like they've added 4K to a 2K uh, camera. So they've added cinema mode 4K. Uh, UHD was the 4K flavor they had previously, which is not the full 2160 format form factor. Right. So, uh, so, they, so they've done that. They've upgraded from UHD to full 4K. Yeah, so. exactly, and that's what they're calling Cinema 4K, which is the okay. 4096 by 2160. It's because that was really interesting. I was going to be really fascinated to see somebody that added 4K, but. But that's still interesting in itself because why wouldn't they have put the full usage of the sensor in there in the first place? If they only shipped it with UHD, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, originally, 
they only announced this as shooting 1080p. Uh, really? Then they announced that they were adding uh, UHD to it, which happened um, about a month and a half ago, two months ago. And then now they've added uh, 4096 by 2160. So uh, for those of you not familiar with the measurements, uh, 3840 by 2160 is UHD, and you get a few more pixels out of it when you go to uh, 4096 by 2160. Uh, same thing when you hear 2K. Uh, 2K isn't 1920 by 1080 like you'd normally expect. It's a, just a, a smidge higher than that. So it, it's like slightly expanded. And there's not much cropping you can do with something like that, but it, it's sort of nice. Uh, I think they're just basically like, oh, well, we can do this, so let's go ahead and throw it in there so that our camera looks that much more attractive. Uh, same with the log format for this camera. You know, that wasn't in the original announcement, but now they're like, oh, hey, look at this. We've got this uh, new thing that we've given you for free. Like, love us. You know, be our friend. Look, we're wearing a little bit more flair. And, uh, you know, that does actually make people happy especially in sure. light of a $99 firmware update for the GH4, you know, now you have this camera that's more expensive that they're, they're handing it out for free. Uh, that, yep. That's kind of nice, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's phenomenal. So is it micro four thirds or is it a super 35? Uh, so it has a th super 35 millimeter sensor and there is an option to, unscrew the front mount and move up to that size but it is designed for a micro four thirds lenses out of the oh. gate so if you just go buy this tomorrow the mount on the unit is a micro four thirds mount and then you can unscrew four screws and pop on a larger mount i haven't seen the mounts actually available yet so even though i've seen pictures of people taking it apart i don't know if you can actually buy the other mounts to go up to the full sensor size uh they're cropping in on the sensor for micro four thirds so that's kind of what's going on there and it is weird this camera is always advertised as super 35 millimeter sized cmos sensor but then right. in the format listings, it's a micro four thirds camera. So yeah, I was really confused by that. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. No problem. Yeah. I, I, I still haven't ever gotten any exact clarification on whether or not they sell a adapter upgrade for that. But in JVC's literature and in several pictures, they show that piece coming off and getting full access to the super 35 millimeter sensor. So maybe it's an upgrade path in the future. Another upgrade path, uh, you know, offer all of the features that you can get sometime in the future so that you buy our camera now. <laughs> well, but at least it's upgradable, right? Gosh, that's the ding against Apple computers since day one is you can't upgrade them. Anyway. All right. I, I, oh, thanks cool. for explaining. That was really confusing the hell out of me. <laughs> All right, Mitch, this last one on here is yours, unless you want to get into that other wacky camera I was showing you pre-show. I uh, want to see, unless, unless we should save that for um, when we have more information about it. Uh, no, it's out and available here. All right, guys, what we are, are talking about here, and I'll share my screen so you can see what I'm talking about. This is a weird one, something I kind of just came across because of one of you out there emailing me. I got a question in asking about the JVC a GC PX100 full, you know, whatever. It's a it's a camcorder. This is a 12 megapixel CMOS sensor. It's backlit. It's supposed to be really good in low light. 
Uh, this thing is about uh, $1,000, a little bit less, and it's sort of a hybrid stills slash video camera with a really interesting f1.2 wide angle lens and that's probably the kicker here uh people are calling this possibly the best youtuber video camera available it's a really strange form factor as you can see and it it does have a full um viewfinder on here that that has its own digital display and everything so it's really a strange strange camera but it's also a really interesting you know f 1.2 to f 2.8 oh what's the 35 millimeter equivalent zoom 200x zoom holy crap (laughs) this guy yeah so uh basically in your 35 millimeter equivalent that looks like a 29 millimeter up to a 294 millimeter zoom range so fairly aggressive uh a 12 megapixel sensor so probably decent in low light Uh, it's got some interesting frame rates all the way up to 600 frames per second though at a unusable 3200 by 7176 320 by 176 that's tiny yeah and then uh, it shoots stills uh, looks like fairly rudimentary still stuff i don't know Uh, this is just a strange one to me um Mitch, you know, I know as much as you do about this. What what do you think? Like, would you jump out tomorrow and spend $1,000 on this strange, strange guy? Uh, At this point, because I haven't seen anything more about it, no, I'm not going to go dump $1,000 on it. But I do find it fascinating that this particular camera has gone the opposite direction, right? So the DSLR video revolution was so exciting because you had a low-priced camera that shots both stills and video, right? Yeah. And most people like you are are gravitating towards cameras that only shoot video because they're really good at what they do, and that's what you want them for. And I always say, you've heard me say it half a dozen times here, well, it doesn't shoot stills, so for me, it doesn't do what I need it to do. And, and you're right. In this particular case, what they've done is they've really, truly kind of merged a DSLR and a video camera from the video camera's viewpoint. Uh, it doesn't have ND filters on it, which some video cameras have, right? Or I don't think I saw that in the list, but... I did not see that in the list, but that doesn't mean it, it does not exist. <laughs> right. But so it's 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 like the reverse of the DSLR revolution where they've finally done what I keep bitching about is that none of the video cameras shoot decent stills. So you still have the situation where if you want to do both, your only option is shooting a DSLR. This is at least an option going in sort of in the other direction where it's primarily a video camera and it has stills modes for you. So it could be very interesting. Yeah, I'm, the form factor is just so bizarre to me. Um, <laughs> it's like somebody took a handy cam and then just sort of clumped a, a DSLR body onto the back of it. The screen right. on this guy, and you know, I'll share screen again so you guys can see what I'm talking about. The screen on this guy is sort of this weird fold-out Sony-esque flip-up deal that allows you to go all the way up to the top it's got really simple, easy-to-use buttons that are just like, you know, hit here for record, hit here for photograph. Uh, you know, it's got a zoom rocker, which, you know, when's the last time you, you saw a zoom rocker 
You know, it's been quite some time, so that's a a new thing for me. It's got this nice handy cam sort of of glove fit thing going on on the side here. And, you know, no XLR inputs, but, you know, if you look down here at some of the reviews, it looks like these guys have fully kitted this thing out with, uh, you know, uh, audio inputs, a wireless system. They've got, it looks like they've got a, a Beach Tech XLR adapter on here, splitting the audio into this thing. Slapped an ND filter on there so that they can shoot wide open at f one two. Now it is a, a one 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 and a two. What is it? Uh, less than an inch sensor. One right. divided by two point three, whatever that works out to, is a fraction. Uh, I get confused when you start putting decimals in fractions, but the, or name. Yeah. the The point is, is this guy uh, probably at f one two isn't going to be super shallow depth of field, but that's still very impressive for a weird camera like this. And it's got a video light built in. Also weird. This is just so weird. I don't even know what to say about it. I mean, for the guy that contacted me asking me if you should buy it, you should buy it and then tell me all about it because I want to know more. (laughs) Exactly. That's it is very interesting. I'm glad you brought it up. All right. Let's see. We got one more thing here. Total lunar eclipse. Mitch, you want to talk about this one? Yeah, I just wanted to alert people if they are interested in this kind of stuff that this Sunday evening in the United States and in parts of Africa and South America will see a very cool total eclipse of the sun. I'm sorry, moon. (laughs) And uh, if you haven't seen one before, they get really dark red, kind of brick red, and it depends upon how much pollution is in the air. And cat, get down from my desk before it breaks. Sorry. Uh, it's fascinating to see. It's it's going to be prime time U.S. time at not like nine and ten o'clock, so it's not too late. Most of the time, the eclipses happen at like three a.m. in the morning, and most people are going, "I don't want to stay up." And the the second factor of this one is that the moon is going to be a super moon, which means that it's very close to the Earth. It's close to the Earth at a full moon that you can get. So it's going to appear larger than a normal full moon will. Now, it's not going to be like some people get all wacky and say, yeah, it's going to be the size of an, uh, you know, a balloon at two feet. It's not that big, right? It doesn't get that close to the Earth, relatively speaking. But if you're interested, I just thought I would highlight it because I didn't hear about it till just this week. And uh, I've always been a little bit into astronomy Hence the planet name, you know, Planet Mitch. <laughs> and so I thought it would be something interesting. If people are tuning in before Sunday, then they should just make an effort if you're in the United States or South America or very extreme edges of Europe. Uh, have a look at the map that's in the link or Google it. Now, uh, one thing I will mention on this, and actually it's it's pretty cool. I needed a a shot for a scene where I, I needed a large moon with clouds moving around it. And uh, to get that, I actually worked with an astronomer, uh, well, uh, an amateur astronomer. He had a, a very large telescope, probably invested, you know, seven or $8,000 in this, in this telescope. And with a little bit of adaptation, I was able to hook a camera onto the eyepiece and shoot the moon using his telescope. And doing so, 
provided this beautiful oversized moon with clouds moving around it and sharp focus, uh, great, you know, it looks beautiful. Like, I'm very happy with how that shot turned out. And you think, like, you see in these movies where you see the big moon and the clouds moving around and stuff, that they shot that, you know, they just went outside with their camera and shot something. No, you can't do it that way at all. You want a good moon shot, you really have to go get someone with a telescope. They sell an adapter that takes your lens down to the eyepiece and then from there, you can take either stills or video of it. And that turns out gorgeous. And something like this, man, you shoot a red moon with some clouds or, you know, get something right. That could be stock footage gold. You know, you're, you're talking yep. people need that sort of thing for, I don't know, the next teen vampire heartthrob movie to put in the background. You know, yeah. you rotoscope out the buildings, you put in this beautiful moon with some clouds floating around, and bam, you've set the aviance for what would otherwise have been a plain Jane shot. Yeah, I I imagine there are a lot of potential filmmakers or people that haven't really done a whole lot of work on this, and they they they've seen these movies like Sleepless in Seattle, and you know where they you have the outdoor shot of a building and people, and they're lit. And yet the moon's behind them and it's really large and like you say, clouds moving and you can even see stars. Yeah. Well, those of us who know cameras, right. We're like, there's no way in hell they got all that in one shot. They've, they've done all sorts of CGI or manipulation. Cause my daughter, my teen daughter, she's an art student. And I, she's taking a photography class and she's like, really frustrated because she's really learning about how sensors work and she's going out and shooting these things where she her eye can see all of these different uh you know the dynamic ranges and she shoots it with her camera and she's like dad how come it's dark over here and it's bright over here and it didn't work and i'm like yes dear let me explain sensors to you do some bracketing do some bracketing so anyway sorry i went way off tangent on that but oh no that moon thing is actually it's pretty interesting uh thinking about how to film those things and there are a lot of really simple but very hard to to find out how to do bits like that when you're making a film that you're like the sleepless in seattle that's a great example like how did they get the moon there well a they either rotoscoped it in or b they green screened it in or, or whatever in the case of my moon we shot everybody in front of a building with the night sky away from the building so that we didn't have to rotoscope individuals we rotoscoped the building with a stationary shot then placed the moon and the sky in the background out there added a little bit of cg lightning for an extra bit of effect Ooh. and you know now you have a shot that would be mediocre at best and now with the clouds and the moon and everything else, it becomes this sort of gorgeous, really interesting wide-angle shot of the sky. But there's no way in heck you could shoot the moon, or even if you were lucky enough to get the moon in that position, it would never look like that. The moon doesn't look like that. <laughs> but the movie moon is way different than the real moon. And it's the same with the stars. Mitch, you're absolutely right. You go try and shoot stars in the city. Good luck with that, buddy, because guess what? The light pollution is going to destroy any opportunity you would ever have of getting stars in the background. The only way to do it is to go out in some remote country area or up in the mountains, get your star shot, and then comp that into your actual shot. So plan for those things. And, you know, look around. There's 
people that have done this stuff before, uh, talk to an astrologer if you need that sort of shot. You know, um, somebody with a telescope. You can buy attachments for like forty or seventy dollars and get some beautiful, beautiful shots. Uh, 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 Mitch, have you ever done any moonshots uh, since you're into astrology? I can do one right now. Oh no 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 no! That's okay. <laughs> I think uh, you know we've talked about bug poop and now we've talked about full yeah. moons. I think yeah, it yeah, might yeah. be time to wrap up the show. Mitch, do you have anything else before we get out of here? No. By the way, you said astrologer a second ago. And oh, man, I did it again. Astronomer, <laughs> not astrologer. I love you, DJ. Love you. <laughs> great show. I love talking to you. All right, Thanks guys. Welcome, everybody. On that note, be sure to make sure you hit the like button because that helps everybody out. Write a review in iTunes. Mitch, where can people find you? Planet5D.com. And myself, guys, you can swing over to Twitter and find me at DSLR Film Noob. There's also several links in the show notes, as always, to where the show can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, so on. So follow us, like us, click on us, do it all those things that you do on the internet because that's what you do on the internet. And we will see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>